If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Don't worry, we won't get to verse 11. But Jeremiah chapter 29, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a few in the back. If you have never opened a Bible or you don't know where the book of Jeremiah is, you can look in the table of contents, which is in the very beginning of your Bible. It's going to be about halfway through Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 29 tonight. So if you've been around for the last few months, you'll know that we're in this year-long series called The Scriptures. And basically what we're doing in this series is we're taking an entire year to journey through the story of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation and see how this book, this uh, library of books rather, is one story that leads us to Jesus. So we only have two more weeks in the Old Testament. So sad. No, that's not, you shouldn't be cheering. We're so sad. The Old Testament, so, the First Testament. It's so sad. But we've been working. We started in September. It's like almost February. Next month is sex dating and relationships, so we won't finish until March. So that's like, that's like seven months in the OT right there. So great. Give yourselves a round of applause for that. You're coming back. You are coming back. That's amazing. So tonight, we are going to recap a little bit, but we are going to talk about this idea of exile. Now, does that word ring a bell for anyone? All right. Literally, all of you should have your hand in the air because we did an entire series last year in the book of Daniel called Youth in Exile. But if you are totally lost and you have no idea what the covenant means, you have no idea what the kingdom is. If you're like, what the heck is exile, Daniel, Jeremiah, what is going on? Do not worry. We will bring everybody up to speed here in a minute. But tonight, here's what I want us to see. Tonight, I want us to see how the story of Israel's exile is actually our story and points us to the exile of Jesus. So we're going to look at this story in the scriptures of this group of people called Israel, and they're going to be in exile. And what I want us to see in this story is that this is actually our story and points us to the greater reality of Jesus and his exile for us. All right, sound like a plan? Everybody with me? All right, give me a one. Give me a two. Three. guys remember that? TBT. That's old news. All right, Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. So, Jeremiah 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Israel to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Skip down with me to verse 4. This letter said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease. Verse 7. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is God's word. Uh, Let me pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we know that you're here, that you want to speak to us, that you want to move among us, and that you have specific words, specific ideas, uh, specific things that you want to communicate to each one of us here tonight. So I pray uh, in Jesus' name that you would do that, that you would uh, press on our hearts and our minds, that you would show us areas that we need to mature in, that we would need to confess, that Uh, We need to be encouraged in, equipped in. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come uh, and that you would have your way. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start off tonight by asking you to picture your dream house in your mind. Picture your dream house. All right, so a few things to think about. What would this house look like? Where would it be located? Who would live in this home with you? Would you be living by yourself? In your dream house, do you like have a family, a spouse? Who is there? What is your life like? Are you working a job? Do you have kids? Are you an athlete? Are you a writer? Uh, Do you just like paint in the woods all day? Like what is, what's your dream situation? Now, I've mentioned this before, but I am a huge fan of Scandinavian minimalist architecture. All right? It's just my thing. I love it. And so today, or this week, I Googled Scandinavian minimalist architecture and was like, all right, where's my dream house? I'm going to find it. And I didn't find my dream house, but I found something that was pretty close. All right? So this is it. All right? This is my vibe. Not super big. I don't need a big house. Uh, it's in the woods somewhere that I can retreat from the city in which I minister most of the time in. I got a little shed over there. That's where I keep all my bike stuff. So Nicole never has to see any of my greasy, wet bike clothes. I can just keep them all in there. Um, it's away from everything. It's amazing. There's a pool there. Uh, there's this really nice deck, but as you can see, very tasteful. Very tasteful, not super extravagant. We don't have like, you know, babies shooting water, like bird baths. We don't have any of that nonsense. It's just straight up concrete, uh, beautiful, clear water. I love the fact that there's windows, like the walls are windows. That's super my jam. Mostly, I think because we don't have windows in our apartment. And so I just like imagine like what would windows even be like in a home? Just like screw the window. Let's just make the wall the window. All right, let's just go for it. All right, now living room. This is what you're looking at like every day, all day. You have a nice couch there, the dining room. And you're just like you could host seek night in there. There's plenty of space for a small group Bible study or for early morning theological discussions. There's this dope fireplace with what appears to be some sort of weird coffee there on the, uh, the coffee table. And just really well designed, very clean, very minimal. Love this. The hallway, just beautiful, right? It's not like too much. It's not like extravagant. It's just home. Right? This, is my, this is my dream home. And to top it all off, 
that's where I get to sleep, right? Now, come on. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're picturing. If you're like mansion, if you're like you want a basketball court in your like house, I don't know what your thing is, but who wouldn't want to wake up in that? That's amazing. So this is my dream This is my dream home. Now, imagine whatever your dream home is. Picture it. Now just imagine that there are no broken relationships in your life. Imagine either your family or if you're living in there with your parents or your siblings or a spouse or kids. Everything is the way it should be. Your parents are making ample money. Your parents don't fight. Maybe you're married and you and your spouse are just like in a flourishing relationship and there's no issues and there's no shame. There's no regret. Maybe you're working your dream job. Maybe you're the youth director at Westside Church and just everything is exactly the way you want it to. You're setting your own schedule. You're only doing that which gives you life. You're never encountering opposition or sin or injustice. And there's only flourishing, there's only joy, peace, and contentment. Everything is exactly the way that it should be. So if you picture that in your mind, whatever that looks like for you, our story in Jeremiah is literally the complete opposite of that. All right, so take your dream, smash it into a thousand pieces, and be like, what's my worst case scenario nightmare? That's Jeremiah 29. All right, so that's Israel in exile. So before we get to exile, again, we haven't been, um, we took a, last week off and then Ron talked and we were off for Christmas break. So he's kind of been in and out of this series. So for the sake of just bringing everybody up to speed, I'm just going to do a quick recap of where we've been so far. But we started in the what? Anybody remember? The garden. Good. Okay. Very good. It all started in the garden where the kingdom was created. Okay, great job. Man, I'm crushing this series. All right, so we started in Genesis 1 and 2, and and in the beginning, God created everything, and he created humanity, and he put them in the garden, and God commissioned humanity to take this wild and waste world that he had created and create a place where God's presence could dwell with his people, to rule and reign alongside God. So he creates us as humanity. He puts us in the garden, this temple on earth, which was supposed to be this incredible place of potential and glory. All right, so if you go back to your dream house and like your dream life, that was the original design for us as humanity to create that kind of life, being in God's presence, doing exactly what we were created to do without sin or suffering at all. But then we learned in the fall that this kingdom, this incredible place of heaven and earth coming together was broken and it was lost. We rebelled against God and we failed at what he had called us to do. And and we decreated what God had done and we unleashed uh, injustice and sin and hell and evil into the world and we ruined God's good world. But God came to humanity and promised that one day a man would come and deal with our rebellion and allow the evil and the hell and the injustice that we unleashed into his good world to overtake him and through that bring about the blessing and the healing and the restoration of all things. So years later, God comes to a man named Abraham and makes this unbreakable vow, this covenant with this one man and says, Abraham, through your family, 
I'm going to bring about the restoration of all things. I'm going to deal with your brokenness and your rebellion forever. This is where we started the covenant, which is where the kingdom was promised. So since like the end of September, we've been in the story of the Old Testament, which the most, uh, most of the story of the Old Testament takes place in what we've called the covenant. So this was the most important part of our story so far because we talked about how the whole point of Abraham and Israel and this kingdom was not just the historical um, story about this group of people who lived in the Middle East like thousands of years ago. This was actually the story of God's people. It was about God reestablishing his rule and reign in the earth and him partnering again with humanity to see that happen. But as we saw in our story, hundreds of years passed and Abraham's family ruined everything and they screwed up majorly. They ended up in slavery in Egypt. But again, God rescued his people and they spent one year at Mount Sinai. We talked about the covenant. Luke talked about Leviticus and we talked about Deuteronomy. Again, if you missed any of that uh, and you really just want to figure out the nuts and bolts of Leviticus, go back, listen to the podcast. Luke did a great job on explaining a full theology of the book of Leviticus and its New Testament ties from the Old Testament and the great high priest. Wow, Luke. It was, can we just give it up for Luke's teaching on the book of Leviticus? Unbelievable. That was the night that my car got broken into. Then Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. That was the book of Numbers. And they get to the promised land and then they enter the promised land. And it's like, okay, we're entering the promised land. Like we're back to the dream home. Slavery's gone and injustice is gone and like the desert, it's all gone. We're supposed to enter the promised land. Now we're going to be the people who's gonna, who are going to bring about the blessing and the restoration of all things and heal the world the way that God wanted us to. But surprise, that's not what happened. And then we, uh, last week, if you uh, weren't here, we, I recorded a podcast and put it on the podcast for all of you who listen to the podcast but we just uh, shared a little bit about Joshua and Judges, and those are horrific books of the Bible. I would encourage you to go and read the crazy stories. But basically, what we see in Joshua and Judges is that there's this cycle of violence and abuse and death and injustice and cycles of sin for the nation of Israel. So it's like Genesis 11, and it just plummets all the way down through the Old Testament. Things just get worse and worse, and then there's like a little glimmer of hope, and then worse and worse, and like, oh, things might be good. And then it bottoms out, and it's terrible. But last week... Ron taught us about King David and how David establishes this earthly reign for Israel and the temple is built in Solomon and everything was again primed, it was arranged, it was ready to go for God to do what he promised to do in Abraham. And everything again for like the millionth time was teed up, ready for Israel to be the people that God had called them to be. But again, surprise, Things went horribly for them. And eventually, through the course of some events that we don't have time to get into tonight, Israel finds itself in exile. Now, again, if you're unfamiliar with this word exile, we did an entire series through the book of Daniel. Anybody remember this series? Yeah, that was like TBT to Daniel. But we did an entire series looking at what exile is and how we're actually youth in exile here in Vancouver. And so if you miss that or you don't know what that is, again, it's all on the podcast. Feel free to go back and listen to that. But for now, 
I just want us to notice what God called Israel to do while they're in exile. All right, so imagine this dream home that we've created, this dream life. It's the complete opposite of that. Everything's terrible. You're enslaved in a land that's not your own. Your family's ripped apart. Your culture's ripped apart. You don't know anyone. They speak a different language. They dress us a different way. And you are ripped apart, and you're basically a refugee in someone else's country. All right, that's basically what exile is. Israel had this potential to have their sort of dream home, this place where God would dwell with them and the relationships would be restored and heaven and earth would come together and this nation would bring about the blessing and the renewal of all things. But because of their rebellion, they lost that dream house. They lost that potential and everything was broken. And as a consequence of their sin, they were captured by Babylon and their homes were destroyed and they were led back into slavery and captivity, which is, again, an echo of the Exodus story. So this is just the cycle all the way through of people failing at what God had called them to do. Now, we're up to Jeremiah 29. All right? Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, that was the Old Testament in like eight minutes. All right? So... They're in captivity, they're in slavery, and this guy named Jeremiah, he's a prophet to Abraham's family, to this nation of Israel, and he is receiving words from the Lord that he's, a commun- he's communicating to the nation of Israel. So he's having his own one another time of speaking on behalf of God to a group of people. And what's interesting about this passage is Jeremiah gives a really interesting call to the group of people that are in exile in Babylon. Israel is in exile, and of course this is an impossibly difficult time with tons of suffering, but one that God will ultimately use to accomplish his purposes in the world. He is still wanting the nations to come to him and to learn what heaven on earth looks like. He's still working all things together for good and choosing to have Israel this nation, this group of people who keeps failing, who keeps rebelling, who keeps sinning against him, he actually chooses that group of people to partner with him to bring about the restoration of all things through their time in exile. So Jeremiah gives them five things they are to do in exile, which is really weird. If you're in exile, if you're a refugee in someone else's country, uh, you'd think that somebody would come to you and be like, honestly, dude, just survive or fight back. Like, don't let them take your land from you. Like, fight back, or that's one option. The other option would be like, honestly, man, it's like not even worth living. So just do what they want you to do. Just become like them. Like, God's given up on you. Just forget it. Don't worry about it. Those are like the two natural responses to what Israel could have done in this exile. But Jeremiah gives them five things that they're supposed to do. Five verbs. Build plant, multiply, bless, and pray. Build houses and live in them. Okay, again, this is echoing the Garden of Eden. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Basically, buy local, right? Don't import your goods. Small business Saturday. Again, plant. This is echoes also of the garden. Third, multiply, which reminds you of what? The Garden and the Multiply Conference, yes, both of those are excellent. But 
multiply. That was our call as humanity was to multiply and spread out and bring the rule and reign of God into the world. Fourthly, bless the city. So don't just like live in it, but actually work to see your city flourish. And he, Jeremiah actually says, if your city flourishes, then you will flourish. Really interesting that Israel is supposed to find their, their meaning and their satisfaction and their flourishing as individuals in the city that they're in captivity in, in exile. That seems totally backwards, which should remind us of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God, backwards. What? Now, what does all of this have to do with the story of the scriptures? What does this have to do with you and me in Vancouver, 2000? 19. Well, Abraham's family, as we've said, is in captivity. They're in exile. They're away from their home. It's a different land, a different culture, different language and custom and dress. And they have to learn what it means to follow God in a land that is not their own. It's not their home. It's not the way that it should be. And they're uncomfortable living with people that don't look like them and talk like them and act like them and don't serve the same God's that they do. But instead of fighting back and waging war against Babylon, or just accepting everything as is and just becoming exactly like Babylon, which are both two things that we have a tendency to do in our exile here in Vancouver, God gives them a third option. God says, renew your city, bless your city, serve your city, love your city, Because when you thrive as image bearers of God and bring heaven to earth in your community, your city will flourish. Here's what our city says. Our city says, if we have sexual freedom, if we have economics, if we have great education, if we have the right prime minister, if we have the right education system, if we have the right sports for our kids to play in, if we deal with the housing crisis, if we deal with the drug problems, if we tick all of these boxes, then our city will flourish and we will be happy. And what's ironic is Vancouver is a place that is leading the world in a lot of ways in those things, and we still see so much brokenness in our city. Every day, so much brokenness. But scripture actually says, this story says, that when we are faithful to what God has called us to do and be in our city and the world, the kingdom of God comes, and flourishing happens, and people are restored, and heaven comes to earth. That's like our, that's our vision. It's an absolutely beautiful vision for our life here in Vancouver. Right? Like, imagine a city that flourishes. Imagine our city being filled with followers of Jesus who bring heaven to earth by living here, by buying things here, by multiplying here, by blessing this city through our lives, and ultimately by praying for this city. Like, imagine what could happen if a conversation in winners could change the course of someone's entire life, what would that look like for thousands of those conversations and relationships to be unleashed into our city every single day? Not having all the right theological answers, not being morally the most outstanding person in the world, not being able to to debate somebody the truthfulness of scripture, but simply hosting the presence of God and living in the kingdom everywhere that we go. Imagine what could happen. 
Imagine a group of people who are stubbornly committed to see heaven come to Vancouver, to see the rule and reign of God extend to every street and every neighborhood in this unbelievable city. And imagine that you are so committed to this vision, not just for Vancouver, but to the whole world, that you would intentionally submit yourself to exile. That you would say, I'm going to intentionally submit myself to the problems of a city in order to see this city flourish, in order to bring the kingdom of God. It could be easier in other places. I could have more space or better education, or I can make more money, or life would be easier in a place that's not exile, where we're comfortable, where things are the way that we want them, where we can just live a comfortable, happy, safe life. All of us have that option. But imagine submitting yourself to exile, but not just for your sake, and not even just for your city's sake, but for the whole world. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. We were Israel. We had rejected God. We, as humanity, we had Eden, Eden, we had freedom, we had the temple, we had the promised land. We had this perfect relationship with our creator and those around us. And we, just like Israel, continually rebelled against him. We deserved exile. We deserved to be cast away from the presence of God. We had no business being back in the garden. We had no business being back in relationship with our creator. We had no business being back in the presence of the very king that we spit on, rejected, and ultimately crucified. But Jesus, who was full of compassion, being rich in mercy, while we were in exile, while we were his enemies, allowed the very Babylon that we created, the evil, the injustice, the sin that we unleashed onto the world, he allowed that to overtake and ultimately kill him. Our contribution to God's good world was ultimately that which killed Jesus. And yet, he willingly entered our exile for the sake of his city, his kingdom, His opponents became his community, his enemies became his family, and his murderers became his brothers and sisters. And so really, the story of the exile is not just like, oh, these people were in a place that wasn't their home. It's our story, and it's the story that Jesus enters for us and says, I'm going to enter your exile, but not just for my flourishing, but for your flourishing. And to, you, to empower you to do the very thing that I came into exile to do, which is build, plant, multiply, bless, and pray. So the story of Israel is so much more than a historical account of what a group of people went through. It's the story of you. It's the story of me. It's the story of how Jesus is calling his people to be a community that brings heaven to earth and builds houses and plants gardens and multiplies and blesses the city and prays to see God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're thinking, man, honestly, Joseph, love you, but that teaching sucked and I'm super bored and I don't know what you're even talking about. If that's you and you're thinking to yourself, man, I just really wish there was a Bible project video on exile that could take what you just rambled on for 40 minutes and put it into a five-minute video, 
you're in luck because they did that. All right? So without further ado, Tim Mackey, Nicole's crush, let's watch this video on Exile. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves. Conquered by Babylon, living in exile, far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Uh, they didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, it wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now, Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created. And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way. 
that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. Now, I want to end by saying this. Imagine your dream home again, whatever that looks like to you, wherever it was and whatever your home looked like with your relationships and what your life was like. But instead of one that's designed exactly the way that you want, imagine with me what would happen if you lived your life in the kingdom of God here in exile in Vancouver and committed yourself to seeking the welfare of the city by working to see heaven come to earth wherever you are. That the point of your life was not your success, not your comfort, not your happiness, not what would make you happy or what would give you the most fulfillment, but actually the goal of your life would be to bring the kingdom of God wherever you are, whatever apartment you're living in or home or school you go to or job you're working or relationship that you're in or person you're talking to, your goal would be to commit yourself to seeing heaven come to earth, to seeing the kingdom of God go out and extend through who you are and what God has called you to do. So may we be a group of people who do just that. Amen? Amen.